This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Bottling everything up can be really bad for you in the long run and have some terrible consequences. And this isn't a conspiracy theory. The more you let things build up, the more of a toll it can take on your mental health. I know for me, in dealing with some traumatic events in my life, I had the tendency to think, well, they've already happened. I'm okay. Other people have it worse. It doesn't matter much. And through therapy, was really able to understand how those events impacted me and changed how I'd start to see the world in ways that weren't great and were sometimes making my life worse. So therapy or dealing with any traumatic events you've had might really help you in terms of how you can live in the present moment now. So if you want to give therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's entirely online, convenient, and flexible. It's also really easy to get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com conspiracy today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash conspiracy. There's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. From the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts. If you're interested in crazy stories from the wild world of organized crime, scams, gangs, cartels, mafias, drug dealers, and everything fun like that, have we got a podcast for you. The Underworld Podcast is hosted by two conflict journalists, Danny Gold and Sean Williams, who have reported on all sorts of dangerous people in dangerous places. Every week, they bring you a new episode on international organized crime from a new corner of the globe. You can find the Underworld podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. In 1995, a septic tank inspector named Larry Wayne Harris borrowed some letterhead paper from a laboratory he worked for in Columbus, Ohio. He used the paper to pose as a scientist and obtain vials of bubonic plague bacteria for research into a book he was writing about biological warfare. Two years later, Leary was arrested for wire fraud for obtaining the bacteria without proper credentials. But by that point, he was already a self-made bacterial expert, making the rounds on shortwave radio programs to promote his completed book, Bacteriological Warfare, a Major Threat to North America. Larry's work caught the attention of his neighbor, a bookkeeper named Richard Finke. After Larry was released on probation, he and Richard teamed up to form what they called a defensive biowar consulting firm. They advertised themselves by spamming online mailing lists with alarming emails. Only their proprietary Colloidal Silverwater could protect everyone from imminent biological attacks. On September 17, 1997, Richard blasted out an email claiming that the lab director of Aquatech Environmental 
had confirmed there was a dangerous pesticide called ethylene dibromide being dispersed from airplanes on a daily basis. The lines filling our skies are not contrails, he said. The lines are slowly filtering down to unsuspecting pests, and I guess we're the pests. The message spread across the internet in a matter of days. No one bothered to check the information before passing it on. They just looked up at the contrail clouds in the sky and figured it must be true. 21 years later, that initial message has snowballed into a theory that refuses to die, no matter how often scientists, military officials, and government agencies deny it. Conspiracy? Maybe. Coincidence? Maybe. Complicated? Absolutely. Welcome to Conspiracy Theories, the podcast where we dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events and search for the truth. If you want to listen to previous episodes, you can find them on your favorite podcast directory or on our website, parcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and on Twitter at Parcast Network. I'm Carter Roy. I'm Molly Brandenburg. And neither of us are conspiracy theorists. But we are open-minded, skeptical, and curious. Don't get us wrong. Sometimes the official version is the truth. But sometimes it's not. This is our second episode about chemtrails. Last week, we went over the science behind airplane contrails, as well as the historical background surrounding the use of airplanes to spray chemical weapons and to modify the weather. This week, we discuss alternate theories about chemtrails, what they are, who's controlling them, and for what purpose. A quick aside, we at ParCast don't intend to bring politics into the conversation about the environment. We're only going to present scientific facts and studies without taking a stance on who's responsible for changes in the climate or what should be done about it politically. Now, let's dive in. According to scientists, contrails are nothing more than condensed water vapor. They form naturally as a byproduct of jet exhaust, regardless of whether any additional chemicals are being released from the exhaust pipe. On a molecular level, they're the same as any other clouds. It is possible to induce rainfall by releasing certain chemicals into the clouds. This technique, called cloud seeding, is commonly used all over the world. But the chemicals used for this purpose, usually particles of dry ice or silver iodide, aren't harmful to anyone on the ground below. As far as airborne weapons go, the U.S. military did use aircrafts to spray herbicides and other potentially harmful chemicals during the 50s and 60s. But these tactics were banned by international treaty after the Vietnam War, and there haven't been any chemical weapon tests over U.S. soil since then. That's the official story, but thousands of conspiracy theorists believe otherwise. Before we dive into today's three main theories, let's take two minutes to tell you the origin of the concept of chemtrails and the suspicious factors that help the conspiracy theories take hold. In the late 1990s, theories began to circulate that there was some chemical substance secretly being dropped from airplanes. 
The long, crisscrossing contrails in the sky were the same as they'd always been, but suddenly they'd taken on a new significance. The first discussion of chemtrails can be traced back to that email we mentioned earlier, the one Richard Finke sent out in 1997. He claimed a highly toxic pesticide was being added to jet fuel and dispersed in contrails. This was in the early days of the internet, when it was just becoming possible to spread information through online forums and chain emails. There was no Google or Wikipedia, and no easy way to fact-check what you found online. People forwarded the message without even questioning whether the information was true. When the lab he referenced, Aquatech Environmental, found out about his claims, they refused to comment. Apparently, their lab director wasn't the source for Richard's alleged information. Years later, Richard himself admitted that the entire message was false. He had made the whole thing up to drum up business for his consulting firm. But once the idea was out there, it was impossible to take back. The idea of chemtrails continued to circulate online for years. It finally broke out into the mainstream with an article written in 1999 by a journalist named William Thomas, published on the online news site Environment News Service. He interviewed dozens of chemtrail theorists around the country, including a former engineering technician named Tommy Farmer, who had been tracking contrail patterns for more than a year. Farmer had collected several samples of a sticky, cobweb-like substance that had supposedly been sprayed from unmarked aircrafts throughout 1998. He claimed that he became ill with a sinus infection that lasted for months after his first contact with this substance. And the article backed him up with anecdotal evidence that dozens of people across the country had fallen down with similar illnesses. Thomas cited no experts and no official documents to support this conclusion, but within weeks, it was going viral on the internet. Two weeks after his original report on January 25, 1999, Thomas appeared on the popular paranormal radio talk show Coast to Coast AM, where he explained his chemtrail hypothesis to the whole nation. He did admit that there had never been any analysis of the material Thomas claimed was being sprayed from planes. But that little detail didn't stop people from believing his theory. Within the next few months, Thomas became the unofficial voice of the chemtrail conspiracy. He sent out email alerts alleging that hospitals across the country were filling up with patients who had come down with a mysterious respiratory illness doctors couldn't diagnose. On February 10, 1999, he claimed to have a BBC photo of, quote, a freezer semi filled with dead bodies in England, all from sudden respiratory ailments, 6,000 deaths from respiratory failure in two weeks. And there was a purpose behind his scaremongering. Thomas was selling vitamin supplements on his website that could supposedly cure the side effects of what he called chemical warfare exposure. After just a few months, the chemtrail controversy had spiraled into a national phenomena. All across the country, there were active communities of conspiracy theorists tracking air traffic patterns, collecting water and soil samples, and buying Thomas's supplements to keep their health in check. Multiple organizations, including the Air Force, the EPA, and Greenpeace, 
came forward to assert that there was no scientific basis behind the claims of secret chemical spraying. The Congressional Research Service even issued a report to Congress on contrails, which affirmed that the increased number of contrails in the 90s was due to nothing more than an overall increase in air traffic. By December 1999, the Environment News Service, which had published Thomas's first article about chemtrails, dissociated themselves from Thomas and asked him to remove anything related to their publication from his personal website. But by that point, it was out of his control. The theories had already taken off. So the question is, if chemtrails are real, who's behind them? And what do they want? The most popular chemtrail conspiracy theory is the original hypothesis Thomas put forward in 1999. The government is secretly spraying chemicals in an effort to fight global warming. The main piece of evidence to support this theory is a patent obtained by an aircraft company in 1991 for a cloud seeding technique known as Wellsback Seeding. Last week we talked about the use of cloud seeding to control rain patterns, Certain compounds, when sprayed from aircrafts, can react with the water vapor in the clouds and cause it to rain. But some scientists have wondered about other uses for cloud seeding. Theoretically, spraying aluminum oxide into the stratosphere could react with the radiation emitted by the Earth and convert it to a different wavelength, which would allow some of the heat energy to escape into space, instead of being trapped by greenhouse gases, leaving the atmosphere cooler. The seeding would ideally be performed by airplanes flying between 23,000 and 42,000 feet, the typical altitude reached by commercial airplanes. Even though the idea was patented in 1991, it's never actually been put into use. The science behind the theory doesn't hold up to scrutiny. It violates the second law of thermodynamics, which basically says that the amount of energy in the universe is always decreasing. Geoengineering experts now agree that it isn't a viable option for climate control. Officially. But some conspiracy theorists believe the method actually is effective, and it's secretly being used by the government to control temperatures in the atmosphere. Which begs the question, if Wellsback seeding can fight global warming and relieve some of the threats posed by climate change, why would the government want to keep it a secret? Because geoengineering is politically controversial, there's no saying how the public would react if they knew the government was intentionally manipulating the atmosphere. And, of course, because the aluminum oxide being sprayed can have dangerous side effects. According to the CDC, aluminum oxide can cause coughs and eye irritation. Long-term exposure may have negative effects on the central nervous system, and increased aluminum levels in the soil can harm crop growth. Cooler atmospheric temperatures in exchange for health problems and poor crop growth. That's a big trade-off to make. It wouldn't be the first time the government has put people's health at risk for a secretive experiment. Remember those military experiments that were performed in the 50s? where zinc cadmium sulfide was sprayed over U.S. cities to test chemical weapon patterns? Just because something happened six decades ago doesn't mean it's happening now. That's true. But chemtrail theorists latch onto the history of military chemical spraying as proof that they might do it again. 
Is there any evidence that aluminum is actually being sprayed from planes? Trace amounts of aluminum are a byproduct of jet fuel exhaust, so they're not totally wrong. There is some amount of aluminum being released from the planes, but not intentionally and not in significant quantities. Aside from that, theorists point to increased aluminum levels in their soil samples as proof that the chemical is being sprayed from overhead. The problem there is that aluminum concentration is linked to the acidity level of the soil. Certain fertilizers and environmental conditions can make the soil more acidic, which, in turn, will increase the amount of aluminum. That's probably what's causing the aluminum levels to rise. Or it could also be because chemtrail theorists often store and transport their soil samples in mason jars with metal lids, which can contaminate the sample with residual metals. One expert interviewed during a survey about chemtrails replied, I cannot imagine a worse protocol for collecting a sample. The data would be totally worthless. So, aluminum in soil samples isn't reliable evidence. What about the coughs and respiratory problems chemtrail believers complain about? What else could be causing that? Allergies, sinus infections, air pollution from nearby factories? Anything, really. Aluminum exposure definitely isn't the most likely explanation. Overall, I'd give this theory a 2 out of 10 for believability. None of the evidence holds up. The motivation is shaky. And according to experts, Wellsback seeding wouldn't even work in the first place. Okay, let's agree the government isn't using cloud seeding to fight global warming. But could they be spraying chemicals for other purposes? That brings us to theory number two. Are chemtrails part of a secret military program to use the weather as a weapon? We'll return to our story in just a moment from the ParCast Network. And now back to the story. Our second theory goes back to that same 1999 article by William Thomas, where he hypothesized that chemtrails are being used in conjunction with the HARP project to create a weather weapon. The major piece of evidence for this theory is a report that the Air Force published in 1996 called Weather as a Force Multiplier, Owning the Weather in 2025. It was a purely speculative paper written by a group of researchers who were interested in the future of weather manipulation as a combat weapon. The 40-page report examined emerging technologies and speculated that by 2025, weather modification technology could be advanced enough to allow the U.S. Air Force to completely control battlefield conditions. As we mentioned last week, the U.S. military used cloud seeding to create rainstorms in Vietnam in the 60s. Weather modification in combat situations was banned by the U.N. a few years later, but the military has still continued to research its potential. Even though the advanced weather weapons described in Weather as a Force Multiplier hadn't yet been created, a small group of conspiracy theorists latched onto one real-life project that was mentioned in the report. High Altitude Auroral Research Project, or HARP. Based at a 33-acre facility in Alaska, HARP's main objective is to study how radio waves can affect the uppermost layer of the atmosphere, called the ionosphere. 
HARP researchers use high-frequency transmitter antennas to send radio signals into the ionosphere. The data they collect about the atmosphere's reaction can be used to improve satellite communication and navigation systems, both for military and civilian purposes. A multi-acre facility in the Alaskan wilderness filled with giant antennas that send radio waves into the sky. It's easy to see why people are suspicious. HARP's research has been publicly available since the project began, but the specific details of the program's activities don't make a lot of sense to non-scientists, so that doesn't really help its reputation among conspiracy theorists. According to scientists involved in the project, HARP's transmissions aren't capable of affecting the weather at all. The only layer of the atmosphere it interacts with is the ionosphere, where weather isn't formed. Nevertheless, chemtrail theorists speculate that HARP's transmissions were being used together with aerial chemical spraying in a secret effort to address global warming. The basis of this theory is that when certain metallic particles are sprayed into the air, they can amplify the electromagnetic signals from HARP's antennas. The resulting energy in the atmosphere could be powerful enough to trigger storms and earthquakes and even disrupt satellite communications. This theory seems to have grown out of the Weather as a Force Multiplier paper from 1996, as well as a bill that was introduced to Congress in 2001 that would have banned, among other weapons, chemtrails, high-altitude, ultra-low-frequency weapon systems, and mind control. People latch onto the bill as an admission by the government that all those weapons are currently in use. But in reality, the bill wasn't even written by a member of Congress. It was drafted by two independent scientists and vocal UFO believers, Alfred Weber and Carol Rawson. Representative Dennis Kucinich apparently brought the bill before Congress without ever reading it. The bill, titled the Space Preservation Act, was supposed to prohibit the use of military weapons in space. When he was questioned about the mentions of chemtrails and mind control, he responded, I'm not into that. When I found out that that was in there, I said, look, I'm not interested in going there. The bill was rewritten a few times, but ultimately it died in the Armed Services Committee and was never taken to a full vote. To most people, this looks like nothing more than a weird day in the House of Representatives. But to conspiracy theorists, it's proof that Dennis Kucinich, representative from Ohio, has inside information about chemtrails, and that he was strong-armed by his higher-ups into dropping the bill. That's a little out there. But as far as government officials campaigning against chemtrails go, well, this is the best we've got. Let's assume for a minute that the military actually is using chemtrails to control the weather. How does HARP play into this theory? There's a theoretical possibility that radio waves, like the ones HARP sends into the atmosphere, can be used to create weather phenomena. In 1997, the Secretary of Defense, William Cohn, admitted that there are scientists attempting to create technology to, quote, alter the climate, set off earthquakes, volcanoes, remotely through the use of electromagnetic waves, end quote. Could those methods actually be in use already? The researchers behind HARP have clearly stated that their methods can't affect any layer of the atmosphere except the ionosphere. Their facility doesn't have the technology 
or the resources to affect the weather at all. If it's even possible to use radio waves to affect the weather, that technology is nowhere near ready to be implemented. That's what HARP says, but some foreign governments beg to disagree. In 2008, a catastrophic earthquake hit the Chinese province of Sichuan. Over 69,000 people died, and 4.8 million people were left homeless. It ranks as the 21st deadliest earthquake of all time. Here's where HARP comes in. The day before the earthquake, satellites in Taiwan noted an unexplained 50% drop in the energy in the ionosphere above the province. And then, just 30 minutes before the earthquake hit, strange lights appeared in the sky above Sichuan. It looked like a giant rainbow-colored stripe floating in the air, similar to the northern lights. Except the northern lights have never naturally appeared in this part of the world. No one in China knew what they were seeing, or what could be causing it. The simplest explanation is that it was a rare but naturally occurring phenomena known as the circumhorizontal arc. When the sun hits ice crystals in the air at exactly the right angle, it creates a glowing rainbow arc, much like the one that was seen in China. But it's important to note that there's no scientific connection between circumhorizontal arcs and earthquakes. If the two occurred at the same time, it was just a coincidence. That's a strange coincidence. Yeah, which brings us to another explanation. Supposedly, the same light effect also occurs in Alaska as a result of HARP's transmissions into the ionosphere. Hmm. Is there a connection between the low energy in the ionosphere, the rainbow clouds, and the earthquake? Maybe. After the earthquake, the Russian foreign ministry reported that Prime Minister Vladimir Putin was making a trip to France at the request of Chinese President Hu Jintao. The purpose of his trip was to warn the European Union that the earthquake in China was caused by the United States. Let's take a step back and think about whether the Russian foreign ministry is a credible source. Russia has a long history of using disinformation campaigns to damage the reputation of Western countries. In the past few decades, they've accused the U.S. government of assassinating JFK, staging 9-11 as an excuse to invade the Middle East, and spreading HIV as a biological weapon. Those are all theories for another day. The bottom line is, we shouldn't automatically trust everything Russia says. Is it more likely that the U.S. military is secretly causing earthquakes on the other side of the world? Or that a foreign adversary is spreading conspiracy theories to prop up their own agenda? Well, you might have a point there. But it isn't the only time a foreign government has accused HARP of being responsible for an earthquake. In 2010, Hugo Chavez, the president of Venezuela, claimed that the U.S. Navy was to blame for a devastating earthquake in Haiti that killed 200,000 people. The U.S. supposedly created the earthquake as an excuse to invade and occupy the nation. A few days later, Venezuela's state-run TV station released a statement adding that the HARP program had caused an earthquake a few weeks earlier in California, as well as the 2008 earthquake in China. These were just test runs, they said. The end goal was to use a series of earthquakes to destroy Iran. Lofty accusations. But is there any proof to back them up? 
publicly accessible data released by HARP shows that for about 40 hours before the earthquake in Haiti, low-frequency signals were detected in the ionosphere. Immediately after the earthquake, the signal abruptly stopped and then resumed with full amplitude two and a half hours later, as if it had been switched off and on. Was the low-frequency signal caused by natural activity, or was it man-made? Okay, hold on. This theory is mistaking correlation for causation. In the past decade, NASA has been working with experts in the UK and Taiwan to study the link between earthquakes and electrical disturbances in the upper atmosphere. As it turns out, almost all the earthquakes they analyzed were preceded by significant signals in the ionosphere. The theory is that the shifting tectonic plates produce electric signals in the atmosphere, not the other way around. So the signals HARP detected probably were naturally occurring. There goes the best piece of evidence for HARP's involvement. But that brings us to another question. Why would Hugo Chavez blame the U.S. for the earthquake if there was no evidence to back it up? Well, during the 14 years Chavez was in office, diplomatic relations deteriorated with the U.S. due to Venezuela's habit of making baseless accusations against the U.S. In 2002, George W. Bush was accused of supporting a failed coup attempt against Chavez. That accusation was later retracted. In 2008, Venezuela completely broke off relations with the U.S. after accusing a U.S. ambassador of aiding a conspiracy against the Venezuelan government, a charge the ambassador denied. And then, in 2011, Chavez accused the U.S. of infecting him and several other Latin American leaders with cancer. I see what you're saying. The Venezuelan government might not be the most objective and unbiased source. If all we have is the word of a few foreign officials who haven't cited any scientific evidence, I'm going to have to say this theory doesn't hold up. The U.S. and those contrails you see in the sky probably aren't responsible for earthquakes all over the globe. But what about hurricanes? Another major theory about HARP is that the program was responsible for a number of storms that have occurred over the past few years, including Hurricanes Katrina, Harvey, Irma, and Sandy. We know the technology already exists to create rainstorms with cloud seeding. This theory holds that cloud seeding is being used in conjunction with HARP's electromagnetic waves to create or redirect massive hurricanes. The motivation for the experiments is obvious. The military could cause severe damage to a country with a single hurricane and make it look like a naturally occurring disaster. It would be just like the storm-making operations the Air Force performed during the Vietnam War, but on a much bigger scale. The question is, is it even possible to create man-made hurricanes? This theory is based more on speculation than science. Theorists believe the waves sent into the ionosphere by HARP can react with other particles in the air to create weather events, but they can't offer a scientific explanation for how the process occurs. By all accounts, scientists can't even figure out how to control hurricanes, and they've been trying for decades. The first attempt to modify a hurricane was a military project called Project Cirrus in October 1947. As the hurricane made its way out to sea, an airplane seeded the clouds with dry ice to see if it would weaken the storm or change its direction. 
It's unclear whether or not the seeding was actually to blame, but the hurricane did change direction, heading straight for Savannah, Georgia. The public blamed the seeding operation for the damage done to the city, and Project Cirrus was canceled. The next major hurricane modification experiment was called Project Storm Fury. Starting in 1963, scientists experimented with cloud seeding over hurricanes that were out at sea, far enough away from land to prevent another disaster like Project Cirrus. After 20 years of experiments with no evidence of success, it finally became clear that the entire hypothesis about using cloud seeding to modify hurricanes was incorrect. Project Storm Fury was canceled in 1983. Since then, researchers have proposed a few different ideas for how hurricanes might be manipulated, for instance, by using electrical charges from lasers to steer the pathway of the storm. But that's just a hypothesis. It hasn't actually been tried. Not to mention, all this research focuses on minimizing the damage from hurricanes, not creating them out of thin air. Unless, as conspiracy theorists insist, the technology for hurricane creation does exist, and it's being kept top secret by the military. There's no way to absolutely disprove that idea, but there isn't any hard evidence to support it. All in all, it seems more likely that chemtrails and HARP are being used to create a weather modification weapon than to combat global warming, but it still doesn't quite add up. I'd give this theory a 5 out of 10. There's one more possibility. Chemtrails are part of a world domination plot by a shadowy elite deep inside the U.S. government. This puzzle has a lot of pieces. Global warming, chemical weapons, mind control, NATO. And it all leads back to Monsanto. The agriculture company? It's more likely than you think. Our story will continue in a moment after the break. And now let's continue our story. In 1992, 34 countries signed a document called the Open Skies Treaty. As the name suggests, this treaty allows the member countries to fly unarmed military aircrafts over any of the other participating countries without seeking special permission. The treaty was first proposed in 1955, but it lay dormant until it was reintroduced by George H.W. Bush in 1989. At that time, the Cold War was just ending, and the treaty was seen as a way to build openness and trust between the Soviet Union and the Western countries that were part of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, or NATO. Superficially, the purpose of the treaty is to allow aerial surveillance of foreign military bases. But is it possible that these so-called surveillance flights are actually being used to spray the entire world with dangerous chemicals? This theory is rooted in another conspiracy theory. The U.S. government is secretly working with other countries to institute a one-world government. Chemtrails control the population and the environment so the government can bring their world domination plan into effect. For the sake of argument, let's assume the world powers really are attempting to take over the world with a totalitarian regime. That's a big ask, but I'll go along with it. How exactly are chemtrails supposed to help them achieve that goal? There are four steps to the process. Pump greenhouse gases into the atmosphere to destroy the ozone layer, kill crops to monopolize the food supply, 
make people sick and docile, and finally, infect everyone with nanotechnology for mind control. Let's take this one step at a time. Objective number one. Destroy the ozone layer with greenhouse gases to create a new global economy based on carbon emission trading. Supposedly, the increasing level of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere isn't accidental. Military aircrafts are secretly pumping carbon dioxide into the air to intentionally damage the atmosphere. Why would they do that? Because once they've put the environment in danger, they can levy the fear of climate change to create a system of laws and taxes controlling carbon emissions. Strictly controlling carbon inputs and outputs is the first step to regulating the entire environment, which, in turn, leads to control of the whole global economy. Eventually, carbon will become the new worldwide currency. Carbon emission credits will be traded like stocks, and individuals will be heavily taxed for anything that produces carbon dioxide, like driving or even breathing. It's all controlled by one government that's slowly, carefully taken control of the entire world's industry. And all the while, the earth is burning from the huge quantities of gases being dumped into the air. Actually, carbon trading schemes already exist, and it's way different from the dystopian future you just described. Emissions trading, commonly called cap-and-trade, is already being used all over the world to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. A regulating body, usually a government agency, sets a limit on the amount of air pollutants each company is allowed to emit every year. If a certain company emits less pollutants than their total allowance, they're allowed to auction off their remaining emissions credits to other companies. Why allow companies to buy and sell credits? Wouldn't it be more efficient to just set a cap and stick to it? By putting a price on emissions, Companies are given a huge incentive to cut their emissions to even less than the maximum cap. And it works. A cap-and-trade program on sulfur dioxide, a major cause of acid rain, managed to slash annual emissions from 26 million tons to 5 million tons in just 20 years. The same thing can be done with carbon dioxide. Are we doing that already? Most of the world is. Right now, the U.S. is one of the only major countries that doesn't have a national cap-and-trade program for greenhouse gases, although there are several state and regional programs in different parts of the country. The U.S. is also one of the only countries in the world that doesn't already have a nationwide tax on carbon emissions. Which begs the question, if the U.S. government is conspiring to take over the world with carbon regulations, why is the U.S. the only government not passing any carbon regulations? Mm, maybe they want to inflict maximum damage before they start limiting carbon dioxide emissions? But if they're releasing carbon dioxide in secret to begin with, they can keep doing it in secret even after there are laws in place. Hmm, you've got me there. If the U.S. was part of a global conspiracy to control carbon dioxide, I think they would be keeping pace with the rest of the world on that agenda. All right. Chemtrail. Objective number two, destroy crops to drive up food prices and replace small farms with giant corporations. This would involve spraying farmland with bacteria and herbicides that eat away at crops, as well as aluminum to make the soil less fertile. The plan goes like this. Use chemical spraying to destroy huge quantities of crops. Put small farmers out of business. 
take over the nation's agriculture with the only crops that are able to grow in the chemical-laden soil. Aluminum-resistant, genetically modified seeds developed by the agricultural company Monsanto. Once one company has a monopoly over the entire food production industry, they can drive food prices up, increase the poverty rate, crash the dollar, and send the country into an economic crisis. All the panic and pandemonium will make the public desperate for a solution, any solution. That's when they unveil the new world order. Round everyone up and implant us with microchips to control our thoughts. Or something like that. Let's start back at the beginning. Chemtrails are specifically targeting farms. Where's the proof for that? Most reports of chemtrails are from agricultural heavy areas, like the Midwest. How is that surprising? It makes perfect sense there would be a high number of contrails above the Midwest, since so much air traffic flies over the area. But most of those sightings involve unmarked military planes, not commercial planes. If they're flying across the country from airbase to airbase, there has to be a reason, like dusting the farmland with chemicals. Or training exercises, or transporting supplies. Ah, okay. There are a lot of different reasons they might be flying around, but we can't totally rule out chemical spraying. Why not? Because we know it's possible and that it's been done before. We went over this last week. Herbicides like Agent Orange were sprayed in Vietnam. The potentially cancer-causing chemical zinc cadmium sulfide was sprayed all over the U.S. That all happened 50 years ago, and it hasn't happened again since then. Mm, that we know of. There's one more piece of this puzzle we haven't mentioned. Do you know what company manufactured Agent Orange, the herbicide and defoliant chemical used by the U.S. military during Vietnam? What company? Monsanto. The same company that developed aluminum-resistant seeds. Coincidence? Or is it just that Monsanto is still working with the Air Force? Only instead of Agent Orange, they're now developing sprayable aluminum particles to make sure their crops are the only ones that grow. We've already talked about the aluminum issue. Changes in aluminum levels is most likely because of the soil's acidity, not aerial chemical spraying. But is it possible that chemtrails are to blame? It's overwhelmingly unlikely. The quantities of aluminum needed to raise the levels in the soil by even 1% are so huge, it would be impractical, if not impossible, to significantly change the soil with that strategy. So this isn't a world domination plan by Monsanto? I don't think so. How about objective number three? Chemtrails contain viruses, bacteria, and pharmaceuticals to cause illnesses and make people docile so they don't question the government. No one's sure exactly what substances are being sprayed, but these chemtrails are blamed for a number of health effects. Flu-like symptoms, sinus problems, coughs, high blood pressure, aching joints, headaches, and narcolepsy. One of the most likely candidates is, once again, aluminum, which is associated with some of these symptoms. Again, there's no conclusive evidence of aluminum spraying, but it makes sense. Maybe the aluminum is performing double duty, killing crops and causing illnesses at the same time. It is a pretty convenient coincidence that one chemical could fulfill two of these four goals. But it could be just a coincidence. What's the end game for this step of the plan? 
the government might be selectively targeting certain populations with diseases and harsh chemicals to kill off the sick, poor, and elderly who they see as a drain on society, and the ones who live will be weaker and sicker and easier to control. Almost all hardcore chemtrail believers have reported physical symptoms related to supposed chemical spraying. Let's not totally dismiss them. They probably are experiencing these symptoms, but that doesn't mean chemtrails are the cause. Sinus troubles and coughs are usually reported at the same time as dust and fog in the air, supposedly evidence of chemical spraying. Or maybe it's air pollution from factories that's causing irritation in the nose and lungs. Joint aches and a metallic taste in the mouth after planes fly overhead? Probably side effects from medications. Maybe even from the supplements chemtrail theorists take to protect themselves from supposed pollutants. Fatigue, muscle weakness. Maybe vitamin D deficiency from staying inside all day and not getting any sunlight. There's also the possibility that all these symptoms are psychosomatic. Mental factors like stress and anxiety can actually cause real health problems, usually things like skin conditions, respiratory problems, and high blood pressure. So maybe the reported illnesses are related to chemtrails, but they're not caused by actual chemicals. They're caused by the stress of worrying about chemicals. It's a possibility, and it's far more likely than a secret genocide carried out by military airplanes. There's one more step in the chemtrail world domination plan. Objective number four, infect everyone on Earth with nanofibers for mind control. Supposedly, chemtrails contain nanotechnology that can burrow into the human brain and take hold of the neural pathways. These nanofibers are dispersed and allowed to take root in people's brains. Once the technology is installed, the government can remotely monitor and control anyone's speech and thoughts. There are some distinctive side effects from the nano-implants. A strange clicking sound inside the skull, aching joints, a burning smell. Some people feel a small bump in their left eye, which is a sign that a nano-camera has been installed. Doctors usually dismiss these symptoms as side effects of other conditions or medications. But for conspiracy believers, this only proves the point. There's no clear medical explanation for what's happening to them, so it must be the result of nanotechnology. Scary stuff. The disappointing news is there's absolutely no evidence any of this technology exists. Conspiracy theorists are basically just floating the idea without offering any proof to support it. It's difficult for chemtrail theorists to explain the science behind these so-called nanofibers because even neurologists don't understand a lot of what happens in the brain. It's probably theoretically possible to remotely control a person's thoughts and behavior with nanotechnology. But the specific mechanisms of how to do it are still a mystery to scientists. We're decades away from that kind of advancement. Right now, mind control is still in the realm of science fiction. So, all considered, what's the verdict on this theory? Is the government using chemtrails to advance their world domination agenda? I'd give this a 0 out of 10 for believability, but a 9 out of 10 for creativity. It's interesting that this theory is so popular, even though there's so little evidence to support it. It's not unusual for conspiracy theorists to be paranoid about mind control and big government. 
a mental health survey from 1983 observed that paranoid beliefs are usually associated with feelings of powerlessness and mistrust. For some people, that fear of losing power over their own life manifests as an illogical belief that some external enemy is secretly trying to control them. Once that belief has taken shape, people will search out evidence that confirms what they already believe and ignore any evidence that contradicts it. We have one last wild card theory to throw out. Chemtrails are clouding the sky to block out the visibility of a giant planet called Nibiru that's rocketing towards Earth on a collision course for world destruction. Two objections. One, the cloud cover from contrails isn't enough to completely block the sky. We can still see the moon and stars, can't we? Mm, you have a point there. Two, NASA has categorically denied that the planet Nibiru exists. It's an internet hoax with no basis in fact. Hmm, could they be covering something up? Let's also consider the fact that if a large planet was really so close to the Earth, it would be visible to the naked eye. Not only is Nibiru not visible in the sky, but it can't even be seen through a telescope. There's absolutely no proof it exists. Okay, we can let this one go. What's the verdict on our three main theories? After considering all the evidence, we believe it's most likely chemtrails are nothing more than regular aircraft contrails. There may have been research into the idea of dispersing chemicals into the sky to combat global warming, but in the end, scientists concluded it wasn't possible. We are not scientists, so we aren't qualified to try and dispute their findings. It's not totally impossible that the military might be using chemtrails to create weather weapons or chemical weapons, but there isn't hard proof to support that theory. And if there is a government conspiracy to destroy the food supply, control everyone with nanotechnology, and take over the world, they've done a great job of hiding it. There isn't any evidence to make us believe this one. Although, it would be an amazing sci-fi story. At the end of the day, we have to agree with the scientific community. The only threat contrails present to the environment is a very slight increase in air pollution and atmospheric temperatures. But no amount of scientific reasoning will ever really put chemtrail theories to bed. It's been 21 years since the first chemtrail rumors surfaced online, and they're still going strong, even with all the evidence to disprove them. It's a testament to the power of the imagination, the internet, and poor fact-checking. If a story is compelling enough, it can spread all over the world through online communities, even if it isn't true. Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. If you like the show, don't forget to subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and on Twitter at Parcast Network. Let us know what your favorite theory is and join us next week as we explore another conspiracy theory. Until then, remember, the truth isn't always the best story. And the official story isn't always the truth. Conspiracy Theories was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Ron Shapiro, with production assistance by Joel Stein and Paul Mahler. 
Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. Conspiracy Theories is written by Kate Gallagher and stars Molly Brandenburg and Carter Roy.